0: So as Philip said last night, we'll be exploring the Satipatthana Sutta with you for these first days of the retreat. And in the beginning of that text, the beginning of that Sutta, the uh, the text offers a, a, a pretty succinct a pretty succinct definition of what mindfulness is. And in a way, this definition, which I'll read to you in a moment, in just a few moments, this definition is, um, you know, it takes a few sentences to describe what the basics of the mindfulness practice are. And then I think of the rest of the sutta as being an exposition on these few sentences. And so it really sets up in a few words what he means, what the Buddha sets up in a few words, what he means by mindfulness practice. What we attend to and how we attend to it. And so really that's the piece I'm going to look at, it's almost like looking at the the definition of mindfulness. It feels like it's cutting in and out. I will try another mic. This is mic One. That's oh, that's much better. Okay. So, um, uh, what I'd like to explore is really this: what what might be called a definition of mindfulness, where the Buddha begins this this sutta. But to start, I, I want to just explore a little bit. Kind of more, um, maybe just a little lower, just slightly lower, Ramon, let's try. How is that, is that still okay? Okay, good, thank you. Um, just just talking a little bit about what we think of as mindfulness kind of conventionally. And, you know, that is um, maybe some, some words that we use, being present, being aware, being with, witnessing, Awareness, observing, those kinds of words are what we, we may use as just a kind of a basic definition of, of mindfulness. And one that I sometimes use as a, a working definition is knowing what is happening while it's happening. And just that kind of just that simple kind of awareness of what's happening while it's happening. This quality of mindfulness that the Buddha points to as being um, crucial for our understanding of our hearts and minds, it's based on a pretty ordinary quality in our our minds. It's based on a human capacity that we have, just this simple capacity to know that we know. Kind of this self-reflective capacity of our minds we can be aware of ourselves we can know ourselves but this simple capacity is not is not what the buddha meant by wise mindfulness i don't think just this simple aware of ourselves but it's where it's the basis of this quality of wise mindfulness it's it's using that quality of knowing ourselves but aiming the interest of the exploration of knowing ourselves in a particular way. Being curious about, and this maybe is a, is, is a simple way to put it, being curious about experience happening in the present moment as experience happening in the present moment. That may sound like nothing. What's the difference than that between that and just being aware of what's happening in the present moment? So here's an example, perhaps, to kind of tease this apart. Um, a, A thief walking through a house may be very aware of exactly what they are doing, aware of every step, every movement, especially if there's somebody in the house that they don't want to wake up they may be very aware of what they're doing in the present moment. But the aim of that awareness is greed. The aim of that awareness is not oh, what does it feel like to take a step? It's not what is the experience of wanting this thing? So that's the difference that I'm pointing to. The interest in experience in the present moment as experience in the present moment. What is the experience of taking a step? What is the experience of feeling an emotion? This is, this is I think, beginning to point at what the Buddha meant by wise mindfulness, by right mindfulness. The suttas actually do point to, in a few places, it's not very widely um, used, this phrase in the suttas. Uh, the, the, um, the, The suttas mention the wrong eightfold path. That we don't want to be on the wrong eightfold path, motivated by wrong view leading to wrong intention, leading to wrong speech, action, and livelihood to wrong effort and wrong mindfulness and wrong concentration. And so in the suttas, it's pretty clear that mindfulness is a kind of a neutral quality that can be aimed one way or another depending on what's going on in our minds. And so the Buddha pointed to this quality as being crucial but aimed in a particular way aimed at this interest of exploring our human experience. So it's worth cultivating this awareness from a particular perspective. So for example, with uh, reactive emotions for instance, the feeling of anger or frustration or irritation What it means to be mindful in this way is to be curious about being aware of what the experience of anger is in the present moment. What is it like? Not what do I do with this or what do I need to change about this? But just really connecting to what is this experience? What is the human experience? of irritation, anger, frustration. So turning towards the experience and experiencing it from the inside, Philip used the phrase felt sense. And so with our reactive emotions, we can explore what's the felt sense of this experience, curious about that. That's a very different experience than having a reactive emotion and acting on it. Very different, and and you all know this difference. You've felt this difference. And yet there are uh, times that our our emotions do point to or or the the, the component of our emotions is a kind of a discernment that uh, something needs to be changed in the world. What I'd like to suggest is that this practice of being curious about what's happening in the present moment, turning inward to explore that reactivity, anger for instance, exploring that experience. Now there may be, it may be connected to witnessing injustice in the world. And I don't believe that the teachings simply say, oh yeah, just notice that you're angry about this and just notice this is what's happening in the world. Because there are so many places where it it does point to action following out of compassion. As we we explore and see what's happening in the world and our um, mindfulness begins to kind of tease apart the discernment of what's happening from the reactivity about it, when the, the reactivity falls away and there's the discernment, there's room for other things to arise with that discernment like compassion and wisdom and patience and kindness and generosity. Action out of wisdom instead of out of greed or aversion or confusion. And so this exploration of being aware, curious about our experience as experience, opens the doorway for a more responsive, a more responsiveness to experience as opposed to reactivity. And so that's a, a piece of this perspective that the Buddha is pointing to. This curiosity revealing, uh, opening us to um, freedom, wisdom, compassion and love. The, the, the emotions of the Brahma Viharas and the, the wisdom of um, understanding suffering. These are really joined together. They're like two sides of a coin. The more clear the discernment, the more, uh, the more the availability and room for the arising of these wholesome, responsive emotions. And so this uh, this phrase that I'd like to explore with you begins to unpack what the Buddha means by wise mindfulness. So this is the phrase. In English, of course. And all all um, all translations have a kind of interpretation to them. And so I have chosen a, a particular translation that I resonate with, the words, so... It's a, it's a little bit of a flavor of what I resonate with in this, in this teaching. So this phrase at the beginning of the Satipatthana Sutta, one abides observing the body as a body, ardent, fully aware and mindful, freeing oneself from desires and discontent for the world. And that phrase is repeated four times with the phrase body as a body replaced by feelings as feelings. One abides observing feelings as feelings. One abides observing mind states as mind states. One abides observing dhammas as dhammas, phenomena as phenomena. One abides observing this fourth foundation of observing the dhammas. We'll will cover that in, in more detail. Uh, it's a a little bit complex to explain exactly what that one is, so I'll just set that aside for now. And in this uh, exploration, I'll I'll just use the the first phrase: "One abides observing the body as a body, ardent, fully aware, and mindful." freeing oneself from desires and discontent for the world. So these words the Buddha puts together, each one adds a slight perspective on what the Buddha is encouraging us, how the Buddha is encouraging us to observe our experience, what the Buddha is encouraging us to observe, and how he's encouraging us to observe it. It's really pointing to both the what we are exploring and how, both sides of it. The first word, abides. This word really resonates for me. Just what does it evoke even the word? Abide, abide. The word in Pali, weharati. means to dwell, to live. And so abide is a pretty nice translation of that word. It evokes the sense of being at home, resting, contentment, a sense of intimacy perhaps, a familiarity of being with, connected, abide. Abide. Sometimes words can be very evocative for us. They've got a lot of associations and sometimes when we bring words into our mind, we may even find just bringing that word in, abide. Maybe there's a kind of a, a collecting or a settling or a gathering. Abide. So this to me brings in a quality of rest of receptivity, that kind of receptive quality to the practice. The second word, observes, abides, observing. Now this brings in a little bit more of a directedness, a kind of a connection. Um, um, the word uh, anup- anupasati is said to mean to look closely at, to observe repeatedly, to closely observe, to see closely. And so we're not just abiding, like, oh yeah, let's just chill. We abide connected, close, intimate with. There's a a strong sense of meeting the experience. So there's a relaxed, receptive connection. Those two together. I like the phrase being with myself. That that phrase helps me to land with experience. Can I be with this? Can I be with this? So we abide observing the body as a body. I want to linger with this phrase for a little while. The body as a body. Feelings as feelings, mind states as mind states. This is kind of pointing to what I said earlier that we are curious about our experience in the present moment as experience in the present moment. The body is what we explore as a body is how we explore it. It's a body, it's a human body. this phrase to me brings in an aspect of wisdom, bringing in some of the wise mindfulness, bringing in some of the wisdom to to the way we observe, Exploring the body as a body. Exploring perhaps some of the impersonal nature of the body. There is a body. This is a body. Not my body, a body. Not as a person or an identity we might hold. And also I think it it points a little bit to um, noticing the body in and of itself, not our ideas about it, our thoughts about it, our opinions about it, our agendas about it, but just the body as it is. I'm pointing to that more, um, uh, what we might call, um, yeah, the word is, is, is escaping me. Um, bear attention bear attention just the body as a body this actually helps us to disentangle this particular exploration helps us to disentangle some very common ways that we get caught up <laughs> views about our body opinions about our body we are we are sometimes seeing almost kind of below the surface, we are relating to our experience through these views and opinions and ideas and not through just the connection of, well, what is this experience of the body? So this, this kind of exploration begins to help us to tease apart what is the physical side of experience from what are our views and opinions, our feelings, what's the mental aspect? So we are really starting to explore the body as the physicality of the body. The actual experience, the felt experience as Philip was mentioning, the felt sense in the moment when he used the phrase real-time awareness of the body, of the breath. That connection with experience. I think this phrase also encourages A non-interfering awareness, you know, that the interference uh, in awareness often comes in through our views and ideas and opinions. Agendas of meditation, how we want the body to be, how we want to be paying attention to it. And this is encouraging us to just notice, well, let's set those aside, or, or notice perhaps that they're there. We're not trying to stop those things from happening so much, but just noticing, can I, know that that those opinions and views are there those agendas but just see can i actually connect with what's actually here what's the, what other sensations happening philip talked about exploring pain in that way yesterday the sense of this, the actual sensations of maybe hardness and sparking and burning and pulling and twisting versus frustration and and dislike and anger and all of the emotional responses to that. When we overlay the emotional responses onto the physical sensation, often it kind of solidifies and we're not so much seeing the actual body as a body, the experience as experience. And so this this kind of um, exploration begins to help us to be curious about a non-interfering awareness just attuned to this experience as experience. This um, we we might think of this non-interfering awareness as the wisdom side, kind of an equanimity a um, just observing it as it is. And yet that very activity of doing that, if we can open to this part of it, we could also use the word allowing. We are allowing the experience to be as it is. Just allowing it to be. Allowing all aspects of our experience to be present as human experience. This brings in the perspective of kindness and care and love. In a way we could say that the kind of mindfulness we bring to that curiosity is a loving attention a kind attention, friendly, caring awareness. This allowing quality is intimately connected with this loving attention. Again, so this, I was speaking earlier about the, the wisdom and the Brahmavaharas—the love and compassion and sympathetic joys—being like two sides of a coin, as we explore experience in this way of allowing ourselves to be just as we are. Now that this is a very definition of love when we want or are looking for love from somebody else. Isn't that what we want? For them to allow us to be exactly as we are? To be accepted for who we are? Allowed to be? That's kind of what we're exploring doing for ourselves. Last night we talked about belonging as community. This is an inner belonging. The Buddha didn't use these words, but the effect of this practice is that we more and more allow all the parts of ourselves to belong. And paradoxically, that allowing all parts of ourselves to belong, a transformation starts to happen. And parts of ourselves that tend to be twisted up in knots and tight and contorted and constricted, those begin to loosen. Greed, the aversion, delusion begins to weaken and and just fall apart, transform really, transform. So this allowing aspect of The body is a body. Just allowing the body to be a body and just being curious about that. This allowing aspect. It's about recognizing that what is happening is already happening. It's not, not, I like the word allowing as opposed to acceptance, at least in my mind. You you may not have this same um, kind of, perspective with the word accepting but when I said the word accepting to myself I kind of felt like I had to agree with it. I'm going to accept that then it means that I have to like sign up with it like okay yeah that's kind of like I have to I, I can't disagree with it. What allowing is about is acknowledging that what is here is here. You don't have to agree or disagree with it. It's just stating the truth. This is what's here. And so this allowing, again, connected intimately with truth. This is what is here. We might as well allow it because it's already here. That allowing then allows us or, or begins to open us to a more skillful response to what is here instead of a more reactive response to what is here. And so we maybe hold this possibility of allowing what is here to be here. Well, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I find the mind is in resistance to what's here. And so sometimes we have to take a step a little bigger and if there's kind of a sense of, no, it's not okay for this to be here. Yeah, I see that it's here, but no, my mind is rebelling against this. No, this is not okay. Then can we allow that? This is here and I don't like it. That's what's happening. It's like making the container a little bigger to include. Can we allow the not allowing? Our minds can do this, kind of creating a bigger container. So we abide, abide, observing the body as a body, body in and of itself. Maybe the breath in and of itself. Maybe sensations in the body in and of themselves. Maybe the broader sense, there is a body. There is a body. And abides, observing the body as a body. Ardent, the next word, ardent. This word brings in some energy, wholeheartedness, diligence, connection, Alertness, heartfelt interest, ardent, maybe even has the quality of the word heart in a way. Ardency, heartfelt connection to. To me, this brings in some of the sense of committing. Yeah, committing, standing here. That, that, uh, that, the phrase of satipatthana, the that Philip talked about standing close to, you know, what mindfulness stands close to. This is that, you know, the kind of commitment to, yes, I'm gonna be with experience. It brings in a little bit of a quality of energy, of of commitment, of persistence, of effort, energy. This word to me brings these in. Continuity ardency, staying connected with our experience. So this, this brings in that, the importance of that staying connected moment after moment. We will emphasize continuity a lot during this time together. It is such an important part of our practice. And in a month long like this, we really get the opportunity to cultivate mindfulness everywhere, even in our rooms. When we go in and close the door, and it's like, oh, nobody's looking. I don't have to practice anymore. <laughs> you can get through a, maybe a five-day or 10-day kind of on-off-the-cushion a retreat of this length, it's so much easier, actually, when we just sign up. Just sign up. You'll forget. Of course you'll forget. You'll close the door and you'll forget. You'll close the door to your room and you'll forget. At some point, though, you'll remember. And just reconnect at that moment. Like Winnie said, to have that moment be a kind of like a yes. its a It's a celebration. I don't remember exactly the word she used, but it's it's, a, it's positive reinforcement. Oh, I'm back. I'm back. Here again. Aware again. Awareness is back. So that ardency isn't about trying to force ourselves to stay mindful all the time. But is that, what's more of intention to stay connected. And that intention to recognize when mindfulness returns in the, the this definition we have both abiding in the definition and ardent so these two are, are they've kind of balancing each other in a way both dwelling and ardent dwelling gives that sense of resting stepping back relaxing receiving receptive at home, an ardency, more of a sense of engagement. What does it mean to hold both of these? Relaxation and alertness are not opposites. They can come together in a moment, right now. How hard is it for you to be aware of the sensations of your hands, wherever they are, however they are? Just the naming of that. that they kind of pop into your awareness? Often, if you're listening, if you heard me, often that, that moment, just for a moment, it's pretty easy. You just notice that sensation. That is kind of the level of effort or energy we need. It's not hard to be mindful for a moment. What is hard, what's harder, where we tend to get tied up in knots is, is in sustaining that mindfulness. We tend to try to pick up a whole bunch of moments thinking to ourselves, okay, I'm sitting down for 45 minutes, I'm going to be present for all 45 minutes. And it's, it's almost like we pick up the whole sitting in that first two seconds and try to bring in the effort in that first two seconds to try to stay present for the whole sitting. Well, our minds don't quite work like that. We can be present for a moment, a split second. Just enough effort to be present for a moment. And then do it again. Just enough for the next moment. Half a breath at a time. Just enough effort to be there for half a breath. That's all you need to do. Those thoughts about the other 700 breaths in this 45 minute, let them go. Just this half breath, that's all you need. And then at, at the end of that half breath, do another half breath. Just like a little bit of like, it's almost like hand over hand, a little bit of pulling yourself along with the lightest touch of effort. We can do this in the walking too. At, at certain points in my practice, I. I found that um, when the mind was was, kind of scattered, you know, I didn't want to try to force myself to try to say, okay, I'm getting mindful, even for one walking path. I would pick a spot on the ground, you know, that little spot there, that leaf on the ground that's about two feet in front of me. Oh, can I make it to that spot? Can I make it to that leaf? Lifting, moving, yep, made it. Okay, how about the next one? Can I make it to that spot? Just enough effort. Small moments, many times, Joseph says, a lot. Small moments, many times. That level of effort can be both relaxed and engaged. That way of practicing. And the thought will come in. Half a breath. Oh, an in-breath. Only 27 more days. And that will bring in, that thought will bring in some heaviness. Well, just that's, what hap- that's what's happened. Notice that as idea. That's not what's actually in the direct experience of the body. That's a thought in the mind with a, a kind of a resistance or a picking up of that. Although sometimes it can be, oh, 27 more days, <laughs> yes. But just notice that. So this light touch of effort, moment after moment. One abides, observing the body as a body. Ardent. Fully aware, the next phrase. Fully aware, this phrase translates to Pali Sampajanya, which is often translated as clear comprehension. And the place many of us first hear about this word, this teaching, is in the first foundation of mindfulness. There's a section on the um, being fully aware in all activities. And I I think Eugene is going to talk about this in a a couple days. I don't want to promise that. Talks can change, <laughs> <laughs> but these. Um, so this, this, uh, this, this is the way we often think about it. Is so fully aware while walking, while going and coming, while bending and stretching, so that the 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 term full awareness is used there. In this particular context, I, the, I've done some research about the word and. Um, there's a lot of different contexts in which this particular phrase clearly comprehending, clearly comprehending or full awareness is used. And I'll just bring in two in particular that I think begin to point to some of what maybe is pointed to at this point in the phrase, in this point of the instructions, what the Buddha is wanting us to explore here. So there are some places where the, um, the phrase clearly comprehending or full awareness, is pointing to recognizing when what is arising is skillful, helpful, and when what is arising is unskillful, unhelpful. There's a a place in the suttas where it talks about um, when this, uh, this hindrance is arising, one is fully aware the hindrance is arising. And so this is this is not about, you know, being lost in the hindrance, but it's also not about judging the fact that the hindrance is there. So it, but it's about recognizing oh the hindrance is a hindrance. This is something that catches the mind and we we feel this in the way the hindrance expresses the felt sense of a hindrance of Uh, those manifestations of greed, aversion, and delusion, the felt sense of that in our system tends to be constricted. And so our system understands this is not helpful. So this is a distinction that is pointed to in certain places in in the sutras around clear comprehension. And so understanding the body as a body, clearly comprehending when the uh, views, the ideas, the states that are arising in connection with what's happening in the body, when they're helpful and when they're not. Another um, definition of clearly comprehending points to recognizing the impermanent nature of experience. One, exercises, Full awareness, this is the phrase in this particular text, one exercises full awareness when one sees experience, when experience is understood as they arise, as they persist, and as they pass away. And so this in particular it's pointed to when thoughts, feelings, and Perceptions arise, persist, and pass away. But I think we can also include the physical sensations. Noticing, knowing the physical sensations as arising, persisting, passing away. Noticing the impermanent nature of every aspect of our experience. So this to me brings in some of the wisdom that the Buddha is pointing to, the the kind of the distinction between what's skillful and what's unskillful, that's a a major, um, um, kind of almost ethical dimension of the teachings. What's unskillful is what takes us into suffering. Unhelpful is what takes us into suffering. What's helpful is what takes us away from suffering. So beginning to distinguish these two, having a clear awareness of when the mind is caught by some of these unskillful states, that begins to create the conditions for learning, the the, the witnessing, the the awareness of these um, unskillful states. And uh, as we see these unskillful states, the system begins to understand them as constricted is to understand them as unhelpful. And so it's, it's the, this distinction as our system begins to understand that we're, we're fortunate in a way in our human system when it gets information about what is not helpful. Our system actually wants to move in the direction of ease, of well-being. but we've been so fundamentally confused about what leads us in that direction. Really fundamentally confused about that. Partly because we're caught by the the views and the ideas of those unhelpful states. We're caught by the view that's embedded in aversion that I need to get rid of this thing in order to be okay. We're caught by that view, we are kind of buying into some possibility of I'll be okay at some point in the future when I get rid of this thing. And we are not noticing that right now in the present moment, the experience of that aversion is already painful, already not well-being. And so those, the, the states, the reactive states, are willing to give up well-being here and now for the possibility of well-being in the future, the idea of well-being in the future. But as, as our system, as our organism begins to get more uh, accurate information about what is actually happening there, that this aversion is happening in the present moment, and this is what aversion feels like, as a human experience in the present moment, our system begins to recognize "Mm, no, that's not well-being. And it's like our system begins to find its way to navigate its way to letting that go. And on the other side with the wholesome qualities, the helpful qualities, our system understands right as they are seen, as they are witnessed. When we feel the experience of patience, of loving kindness, of compassion, of wisdom, when, when, when our minds taste that equanimity, our system understands in the moment, yes, this is well-being. We may even be experiencing a reactive emotion with some balance of mind, kind of have a, a container of equanimity that's holding aversion, for instance. And in, if, we, if we are really connected to that container of the equanimity, we will feel the well-being of that, even as that reactivity is still there, still being unwound. It's been quite a surprise for me in, in my practice. I've worked a lot around anger, self-hatred, aversion, those states were very strongly conditioned in my in my um, life, and uh, when I began to be able to kind of be like delighted, oh, I'm seeing anger again! Oh, wow, that's so cool! It's like that was a different relationship to anger. This is possible with this perspective of mindfulness. The Buddha is encouraging us to cultivate. One abides, observing the body as a body, ardent, fully aware, mindful. Talked about mindfulness some earlier, so I won't go into that word again. The last section, freeing oneself from desires and discontent for the world. Often this phrase is translated as something like free from desires and discontent for the world. And that, at least in my mind, kind of set up a a problem that if there were desires and discontent, it meant I couldn't practice this mindfulness as the Buddha was instructing. I took some um, comfort from the fact that the the list of the hindrances was actually found in the fourth foundation of mindfulness, and it said, when a hindrance is arising, one knows the hindrance is arising. In the in the foundation of the mindfulness of mind states, it says one is aware when aversion is arising, one knows aversion is arising. When, when non-aversion is arising, one knows non-aversion is arising. So I, I took some comfort from those. And to me, that, that points to that this, um, this statement, this part of the phrase, can't mean that we have completely freed ourselves from desire and discontent to even begin. Because there's this encouragement to notice desires and discontent with mindfulness. Bhikkhu Analio has a had a great, this was this was a, a kind of an aha for me. He pointed out that the the verb that the Pali term for the verb that's being translated as free from has a kind of a an active quality to it. I think I think they call it a gerund in English where it's got the ing on it. It's an activity. It's happening. And so that we could think about perhaps the one way to reflect on this part of the phrase is this is what happens as we do this practice. This exploration of abide, observing the body as a body, ardent, fully aware and mindful, creates the conditions for the mind to become free from desires and discontent, frees the mind from. Is It's the process of freeing the mind from that's part of this practice. And that speaks to what I was speaking about earlier, the holding with equanimity of some reactivity. Right in there. We can sometimes even watch the freeing happen. Sometimes we just kind of watch it go on for a while and then we lose interest and then we go off pay attention to something else, and then it's, it's like later we realize, oh, that thing that I was so caught up in before it's gone. So we see that it goes away, but sometimes we actually get to see it disappearing. Witness this freeing from, witness a kind of a release from our greed, aversion, confusion. One abides observing the body is a body ardent fully aware mindful freeing oneself from desires and discontent for the world If any of those words particularly land for you, could let yourself rest with those words. Abide, abide. Being with, observing. body as a body, body in and of itself. Engaged, ardent, wholehearted. Fully aware. Mindful, aware, present. This is our work our practice the results come in their own time practice for the sake of practicing for the sake of observing the body as a body and the learning the understanding Comes along with that, with that curiosity and interest. We don't get to decide, as Philip said yesterday, we don't get to decide when we have our insights. We can stay connected, a light touch moment. Moment this in breath, this out breath.